Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode 34 and we have Christian Pina joining the show. Christian started out in the fantasy and daily fantasy sports world before moving to Las Vegas and transitioning to sports betting. He's the man behind the Hook Report and the editor of content at the Sports Gambling Podcast, as well as a professional sports and UFC handicapper and better. Christian shares his insights and perspective on being a professional sports better in Las Vegas. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback and potential guests you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy my chat with Christian Pina. Today, I'm joined by Christian Pina. Christian, thank you very much for joining me. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm thrilled to uh, thrilled to finally make uh, my debut on this podcast. I've been a fan for a very long time. Awesome. So where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, um, right on the outside of it, on the north shore of, of New England, a little town called Gloucester, Massachusetts. If you guys are familiar with the movie The Perfect Storm, um, that's that's where I grew up. I eventually moved to Boston, um, where I was in the Coast Guard for nine years right after high school, and eventually transitioned into uh, full-time handicapping and uh, DFS, um, and eventually made the move to move to Las Vegas to do both of those things full-time. So what's it like, the betting scene in, in Boston or even Massachusetts where you grew up? Was it uh, common to talk about betting lines on, I guess, probably the Celtics, the Patriots and those types of teams? Yeah, everything is is very underground. Um, it's not as kind of in the forefront the way that a town or a city like New York is. Uh, where you know there's a lot of money within the Wall Street guys, and it's kind of it's the worst kept secret in the world. You know how much how much betting goes into Wall Street and and these kind of businesses and stuff like that. Boston is more um, it's a tight knit community, so it's sm- it's also a lot smaller than places like New York or Chicago and stuff like that. So it's a lot more underground. There's a lot more kind of corner bookmakers and, and guys that have been making book for you know 30, 40 years where it's been in the family and stuff like that. So it's it's much more underground, um, honestly, uh, which is kind of why I. I eventually made the move to Las Vegas. Interesting. So how did you get involved, I guess, through your teenage years or at high school? Or, I mean, you probably followed sports and then it was sort of part and parcel with that perhaps. But were you following like a sports writer that would talk about betting or how did you get content back then? Um, so sports was always something I was interested in just from kind of a fan perspective of course you know all the Boston teams Red Sox Celtics Patriots and things like that but I was uh, fantasy football and fantasy sports was this was um, even before daily fantasy sports was kind of a thing back then Um, fantasy sports was always something I was very good at Um, I loved you know kind of the research aspect of it and again it was back then it was very small stakes you know work leagues high school leagues and stuff like that but I always found myself being the one that was kind of putting in the most effort when most guys were just kind of you know shooting in the dark and stuff like that and this was back when I was in high school you know it was 2002 three four I graduated 2000 um 
seven. So this was kind of back before the internet's golden age, before social media. I mean, this was the days of MySpace and, and, and Facebook eventually came into it. And then Twitter was even after Facebook and stuff like that. So this stuff wasn't even around back then. It was a lot of, uh, I think like Roto World was the first website that really got me into kind of being able to be the gold standard in terms of research and stuff like that. But like all these DFS sites that you see out there now, Twitter, all that wasn't around. So it was, it was much harder because you were kind of on your own. You weren't able to build these networks of friends or these networks of, of Twitter followers and stuff like that. So what made you ultimately decide to go to Vegas? Obviously, it's the gambling mecca in the US, but it must have been a tough decision to pack the bags and, and head out there, I would imagine. Sure. I mean, in, in short, gambling being legal. It's the only place in the United States where, gambling, where sports betting is legal. And, you know, at a certain point of, of having, you know, these bookmakers in on the corner and things being kind of sketchy and not knowing if you were going to be able to get paid, if there was going to be a story. I just wanted something that was, I wanted to go to a place where gambling was going to be easy. And not only that, Vegas as a whole is just, you know, it has, it's changed a little bit now, but it still has that, I don't want to say outlaw feel to it, but it has that, it's a community built on, on gambling. It is what it is, right? It, it, these casinos, they provide jobs. Gambling isn't looked at as the taboo that it is in some other places in Las Vegas. And I wanted to be a part of that. It was, was what really kind of drove me to, to move out here and start gambling full time. Um, once I had built up that bankroll, once I had you know decided that I had made the decision, made the call that I was good enough to do this full time with, with kind of no safety net, it was just, it was the only place in the world where it felt like it was okay to do this. Uh, so that's what kind of drove me there. So when you got to Vegas, how did you decide what you were going to bet on? Did you, I guess you probably started with a small bankroll, like you mentioned. Did you, how was the beginning? Were you losing money? Were you winning money? Did you feel like you were good at it in the beginning? Did it take time? Take us through sort of your, your mindset when you started and how that was. Yeah. So when I started, I mean, I was, I was gambling obviously when I was still in Boston, but when I came out here, um, I, I wouldn't say a small bankroll, but I had built up a, a sizable bankroll because I was doing daily fantasy sports almost full time at that point. Uh, so my strength was kind of in player projections and player props. So I was really playing those a lot when I got out here, which, which did very well, which helped me out. I've learned so much more, more, more on the business side of things um, now that I've moved to Las Vegas. As far as you know, oddsmakers' perspectives, you know, people talk about trap lines. You know, if those exist, it's just it's given me perspective on the other side of the counter so much more, which I think people really take for granted because I'm able to talk to to these oddsmakers and build these relationships with people that have been handicapping for a very long time. And you know, I always say that there's there's levels to this, right? Like, there's People sometimes that are only within you know social media and quote unquote Twitter gambling Twitter, they really don't they don't realize how deep this stuff goes. They don't realize who you know how people that have only been gambling for so long have been successful, um, because the best people in the world aren't usually on Twitter you know giving out their plays or or stuff like that. To be honest with you, um, there that's not to say that there's not you know fantastic people and great people that are that are doing it and doing it within these social media platforms and providing great written content but it's not the only avenue and you know there's this kind of connotation that you know oh these these sharp groups that just kind of operate in the shadows and you, you never see them or you never hear from them and th th there's there's just different levels to this being a professional handicapper doesn't mean that you know it doesn't it doesn't always follow and fall in line with what the the thought process is um, but when I moved out here again I concentrated on what I knew which was player props player projections um, football players 
Um, and and I, that's what I kind of exploited to start. And then I was using kind of the DFS model I had. And then from there, I just took it up. I started, um, again, now that I had all this time to do this full time, I started doing baseball, handicapping baseball, which led me into um, UFC, which led me into, you know, all these other sports. Because once a season ends, you either you either make money on the new sport or you don't you don't pay your bills until the next time that that comes around so i i never knock on wood when i got here i didn't you know go in a huge hole or anything like that i was i was somewhat successful from the start so was football your sport of choice from the beginning yeah it always was daily fantasy in football was again how i got my start so i translated that over into player props and then once i had kind of figured that out is when i trans kind of went into more game stuff you know side and totals and, and team projections and things like that and football was always in is uh next to ufc is, is my most profitable sport but i also do baseball as well in the beginning i would imagine it wasn't a thriving dfs market back then how were you doing analysis to be able to bet were you were you doing your sort of fantasy analysis and then translating that to sides and totals or were you doing you know more statistical analysis on top of that to be able to bet uh on some of those sides and totals yeah so basically i just kind of translated because what i actually didn't know is that daily fantasy sports is banned in nevada <laughs> so of all things you know i thought i would always i would when i moved here of all places it's it's not legal in las vegas right so i mean i was always planning to do daily fantasy sports on the side when I moved here, but I realized quickly that it was illegal if you're within the state of Nevada to play. So I was like, okay, that's that's one income stream that I'm not going to be able to take advantage of. So I had to basically adapt quick, and what I found was that some of the um, – props for NFL players was kind of vastly either off on one side or the other. So I took advantage of that. And then once I was digging into all this stuff nonstop because I didn't have to or I couldn't even take the time to worry about daily fantasy – um, is when I started breaking into the, you know, the team markets, um, sides and totals, and, and took it from there, and it's been very profitable. Rethink the way you see sport. Every action or play can be represented by a series of numbers. When you analyze this data, patterns begin to emerge. If you follow these patterns and develop systems, you can play the game within the game. Betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. So I want to talk about UFC. There's not too many experts out there who do UFC or mixed martial arts. I mean, boxing perhaps, but that's a bit more of a, a legacy sport. But take us through your approach to UFC and, and MMA and how you handicap those events. Because, I, 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 you know, regular, let's call them regular sports, the big four and some others around the world, you can sort of understand the statistical approach. But what about something like that where there's obviously got to be a lot of knowledge of the sport and the people involved and the styles? Take us through how you think about UFC. Right. So UFC was always a sport that I enjoyed as a fan, truly. Um, and I had never really gotten into betting it and things like that outside of you know some of the big name fights the pay-per-views um but it was something that drew me in because it was such an an untapped market really is what it what it still is to be honest there's not a lot of guys that handicap it there's not a lot of guys that handicap it professionally full-time like myself and it's one of those things where I, i'm a big proponent of of keeping things simple i really am i feel that a lot of handicappers and a lot of even recreational bettors make life just so hard on themselves when they don't have to when i was started breaking into this i said you 
know, well, this market is very untapped. Um, odds makers don't. It's such a niche market that odds makers don't. You know, they're not being paid to to make UFC lines. That it's it's a collateral job that they have, and and they can be exploited. They really can. And not only that, it's it's only there's only one. You only have to handicap one fighter versus one fighter. Now, obviously, there's a ton that goes into that, right? I mean, styles make fights is the thing that you're going to hear so many different times, but. As long as you can figure out what the path to victory is for each fighter, being in a mixed martial arts fight, there's so many things that go into it, right? There's so there's striking ability, there's ground impound, there's jujitsu, there's muay thai, there's all these different elements that go into a mixed martial arts fight. But if you can figure out kind of uh, you know how durable someone is, how their ground game is, how their submission defense is, if you have a great submission artist going up against someone that has unbelievable submission defense there's a way to exploit what that path to victory is, right? Because obviously they're going to somewhat cancel each other out, which would lend itself to, say, going over in a round proposition bet, saying the, the fight is going to go over two and a half rounds because I think that both styles are going to cancel each other out. Similar to striking. If both uh, fighters are awful strikers, but they both are very durable and they don't, you know, aren't subject to the knockout, then the fight's going to go longer, which would lend itself to an over. Subsequently, if someone is on the tail end of their career, this happened with uh, the latest, uh, one of the last fights, uh, which was Francis Ngannou versus Alistair Overeem at UFC 218. Uh, Alistair Overeem had been knocked out in three of his six fights. He was an aging veteran in the heavyweight division, while Francis Ngannou was an up-and-coming uh, knockout artist, um, which would, it just stylistically. It was a fantastic spot for one of the fighters and not to mention uh, also going under the round prop because I felt that there would be a knockout. Um, it's just one of those markets that it's it's very untapped. It's a niche market and it's – unlike football, it's not so heavily influenced by the public. The public on UFC – want to do two things all the time they want to either parlay a, a huge bunch of favorites to kind of negate the juice and so that they can work with you know almost maybe an even money payout if they're lucky so they'll parlay four or five minus three four hundred favorites or they bet the underdogs because they want to bet a little to win a lot because underdogs do come in it's it's a human fight you know the, anything can happen in these situations so once you kind of figure this out and you can kind of walk that line and, and see kind of where these these parlay busters or, or where these underdogs have a shot of coming into is it was a great market for me it's been very successful um, and I absolutely love it that's interesting do you think a regular person without sort of deep knowledge or hasn't hasn't been in a UFC gym before could trans transition over to UFC or is it such a unique and difficult sport to handicap because of that? Uh, as far as um, handicappers breaking into starting to handicap UFC, you mean? Yeah. So if I'm an NFL person who you know wants to handicap NFL and then I think you know I probably should get into UFC, is it something that you think someone or more people will transition over to because it's a, a possibility or do you think you need to know what Brazilian jiu-jitsu is and all the other types and forms and styles and and whether they're from Brazil I, I think they do it differently to when they're from you know other parts <laughs> of the world it seems to me is right. a very difficult thing to comprehend but is it do you think it is possible for someone who's not an expert to take it up and, and do well at it I think that hard work will conquer all. Um, I don't think it's impossible for anyone to learn if they want to get into it, but I think that they just need to start at the beginning. Um, you just have to be able to look at all aspects. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's impossible as a field to get into. Um, it certainly helps if you have a fight handicapping background, if you you know used to do handicap boxing fights, so you at least understand that. Um, you just have to be able – I'm a big proponent of surrounding yourself with great people. I really am. I – 
I think that it's one of the most un, uh, you know, I don't want to say untapped, but it's something that handicappers don't do it enough of. I don't know if it's an ego thing, especially in the professional side. Handicappers are notoriously ego driven, right? And I always talk about this with football that they will back the Cleveland Browns six times and they'll only win once, but they will beat their their shoulders, being the only ones that were on them for that that sixth and final win, even though they went one and five. You know, it's it. They, everyone wants to look like the smartest person of the room, and I just feel like if you're an ego-driven person, you're not going to make it long in this business. Because, forgive me for you know wanting not being afraid to look quote unquote square because I'm making money. Um, and so, uh, again, hard work will always conquer all. It, it is by no means a sport that is impossible to get into handicapping. There's just a lot that goes into it, even though it, it's only one-on-one. -on -one. You just have to be able to kind of essentially get into that person's head, or each fighter's head, rather, and attack it from all angles. More importantly than than why or who I think would win a UFC fight, I, I have to be able to you know be able to say how. Is it going to be a knockout? If it goes to the distance, can this fighter, is he a point fighter? Can he win on point? If it goes there, if it turns into a ground game, can this person, you know, get a submission? Can they defend a submission? Can they block strikes? It's just there's a lot of things that go into it, but hard work will always win out. So if you can surround yourself with great people and help you kind of get started, I think that anybody could break into it. It's just if you're willing to put in the work or not. So what's the betting marketplace like for UFC? And I would imagine, I mean, you probably, whether or not you bet outside of Nevada, there's obviously a global marketplace and some online bookmakers who you probably monitor at a minimum just to see what the, uh, the consensus in the marketplace is. Is it a vibrant marketplace where, you know, every event is up, every event has, you know, round under overs, they have a lot of different varying markets that you can bet into, or is it pretty confined to who's going to win, who's going to lose, how they're going to win, and, uh, and maybe some under over on the, the result? Well, the thing with UFC is that they've had uh, over the past couple of years, they've their sport has grown so much, which has helped, right? They've had these wonderful, wonderful mixed martial artists come in, you know, the Conor McGregor's of the world, Brock Lesnar's, even going back further to beginning, you know, Anderson Silva, Chuck Liddell. Um, but as the sport has grown and it's seen these personalities come in, the demand for it has gone up, right? Because you, know, you have the Ronda Rousey's of the world. Francis Nagano, I think, is going to be kind of the face of UFC for a while. But, I mean, you still have Conor McGregor. You have all these John Jones before the, the suspension, Daniel Cormier. These guys that have – or in women for that matter. I mean women women's MMA has especially – it's blown up you know, with the addition of Chris Cyborg and, and these, these women that have come in and that have kind of blown the door open, which has all been thanks to Ronda Rousey. But with the popularity of the sport taking over and for lack of a better term, it's, it's taken over for boxing. I mean UFC in, when it's in Las Vegas – it's it's it has that big fight feel especially if it's a, a huge ufc pay-per-view it, it's replaced boxing with that big fight feel obviously you know floyd mayweather and miguel cotto and, and the triple g fights and things like that in vegas they have the diehards right they, they have the boxing purists that that don't believe in in mma don't think it, it ever can hold a candle to to mixed martial arts in the ufc um, but as far as a market goes, with with the demand and, and you know how popular it's come or become, uh, markets are open, right? They have uh, they have basically everything. Offshore has a, a a lot more options, which is to me is it's very weird. But um, in Las Vegas, you can bet on the money line for each fighter. You can bet over under round props, and that's really pretty much it. Um, limits are kept low. Uh, there are only uh, for main events, some places will take about a $5,000 bet for main events. Other than that, the fight night pay-per-views, which are the free fights on Fox or FS1, 
those are limited to uh, probably about a thousand dollars on each side. But offshore, um, again, I live in Vegas, so I don't. I obviously monitor offshore, but I don't bet offshore. I believe it's the same thing, though. Um, but it's, it's it's such a sharp market because the guys that bet it do so well that limits are kept very very low. Um, so outside of main events, which I said are usually about five thousand dollars for for a limit, most of the limits on the lower level card stuff are about five hundred to a thousand. And again, that's not saying that you can't go. I mean, I could place if I want to place a thousand dollars at twenty different sportsbooks in Las Vegas, I could do that. It's just you know, again, how how much are you willing to to go to every sportsbook in Vegas? You know, the number is going to move as you do this. It it just depends on on your level of work ethic and how much money you want to be able to get down based on your perceived edge. Interesting. I want to talk about what it's like betting in Vegas in a minute, but before we move off UFC, what was it like for McGregor and Mayweather? I'm I'm guessing the limits were probably a bit higher to start with. Yeah, that those <laughs> those limits were were pretty much taken off the board. Um, to me, that was one of the most polarizing uh, things in the world from a betting perspective. Because what you had was you had professionals. Now, when you look at this in hindsight, right? You had a 49 and 0 professional boxer who's been boxing his whole life against a mixed martial artist who had never been in a professional boxing match in, in their life. Um, and the line continued to have reverse line movement and go towards Conor McGregor. Um, when this opened, I was actually at the South Point Hotel and Casino when this line opened. And I was talking with the uh, manager of that sports book. Uh, his name is Chris Andrews. Um, he came over and he, and he, he kind of knows me. He said, uh, where this was before the fight was even announced when it was in talks. And he said, here's the lines. And it was Floyd Mayweather minus 1,200, Conor McGregor plus 600. Minus 1,200, it opened. Yeah, that was well. That was uh, before the fight was even oh, actually okay. announced. Gotcha, I, I gotcha. think that they, but they had the printed out sheet, and it was like you could get this line. You know, if the fight has action within one year or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually opened it minus eight hundred plus uh, like five hundred something like that. But it was it was that high, and that line came all the way down to uh, Car- or Floyd Mayweather minus maybe five hundred, uh, maybe some four eighties out there, and this was just this was the biggest book liability in the last. 20 years from what I've heard in speaking with odds makers that they needed Floyd Mayweather. So what you had here was the public in groups of tens of thousands betting 100 to $300 on a 6 to 1, 5 to 1 payout. But it, there just wasn't enough professional money in the world. And believe me, the professional money was coming in on Floyd Mayweather as much as they could take. I mean, bets of forty to $50,000 were on Floyd Mayweather, but you just – Books couldn't keep up with the money that was coming in on Conor McGregor from the betting public. One, because I think they want to see an upset. Two, I think that they like they they have a little bit of disdain for what Floyd Mayweather is, how what he stands for. How yeah. he's eccentric. He's you know had problems with uh, domestic abuse and all these things. But it was it was just the most uh, crazy dynamic to me. You know the way that I looked at it was. If I had told you I have an investment opportunity for you and, uh, you know, again, it's a fight. Anything could happen. But I would say that there was a 98% chance of, of Floyd Mayweather winning that fight. Yeah. If I had said there's a 98% chance I can give you 20% on your investment within a half an hour, don't you think a lot of people would do it? And that's that's what people didn't understand. They saw a minus five hundred, and they said, "Oh, I, you know, I can't bet that. If I bet, you know, if I bet a hundred dollars, I'm only going to get back, you know, if I whatever it is. It's it, but if I bet Conor McGregor for three hundred, I'm going to get back eighteen hundred. Yeah. So it, it was one of those things where it was just such a you needed a little bit of next level thinking there. You really did to understand that you know this is this is an opportunity to make twenty percent of your investment within a half an hour at a very high success rate most likely 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because I can't remember or imagine any other event that can take place like that where you've got. I mean, the only ridiculous thing that I've heard is if Alabama played the Browns or some, right, some crazy thing right. like That's that. That's one which, of my favorite too. Yeah, you hear that quite often, but it's just an amazing. It's an amazing thing to think about someone who's never lost, probably one of the best boxers ever, and then some guy who's coming from MMA to fight. Let's talk price. Unlike bookies and totes, the Betfair Exchange is a low-margin, buy-sell, fixed-odds marketplace where the value stays with the punter, not the house. Ready for the game within the game? Join betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. So I want to talk about the sports betting experience in Vegas. Do you place only bets on the apps or you still prefer to do it in person with cash so that tracking factor is not an issue? Uh, it's both for me. Um, I've, it's one of those things where I've kind of been on all sides of it. I've had my limits cut because of it and it's not a good thing. So you kind of got to find a new one. The good news is it's Las Vegas. There's so many places to, to place bets and it's not, it's not as if, if you get your limits cut at one casino, it's going to happen at all of them, right? It's, it takes a little bit for word to get around and it's not as if, you know, you're going to get banned from these casinos because you're doing so well. It's, it's very difficult to do that. I understand, you know, people see these, these social media posts of all these so-and-so is banned at all these casinos it's it's not like that in real life i'm here to tell you i've been here for a long time it's it's not like that right um so i it depends if it's a convenience factor and and i'm physically not able to make it to the sportsbook when i need to to get a number or a line is released when i'm somewhere else then i i i always keep you know at least six, seven mobile apps uh, up and running with with a healthy amount of money inside them. Uh, so to me, it's all about convenience. And it's just depending on what I need and who has the best number. Um, if if there's a number that I know is going to move and it's 20 minutes across town, I know I'm not going to get there. I'll, I'll just take the hit and deposit it on the mobile app. But cash over the counter is definitely the preferred method. That's very interesting. I, I, a lot of jurisdictions. I certainly grew up in Australia and those type of you know having to drive across town to get a bet down at a certain number because that's what it's like at that book and the not wanting to go on the app those types of things weren't really an issue so it's a it's a fascinating right. part of the vegas betting experience i suppose yeah it's a, it's the evolution of it right it's it's the fact that it was created to compete with offshores because there is there's nothing more convenient than being able to sit in your couch on your underwear and place bets all day right i mean from a just yep, from a fun yep. a fun perspective and you know say even if you're a recreational better only betting you know 50 to 100 dollars a game that's uh, that's the best part of offshore that i think that vegas was always going to have a tough time keeping up with was the convenience factor if you're not a professional and again there's a certain thing to be said for you know placing placing a ticket and getting cashed out like it to me it's 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 one of the best feelings in the world and i know i sound funny when i say that but it's a high like no other to know that it's you against you know a bookmaker and and you came out on the right side and i always say cashing a ticket is it's one of the the most it's one of the highest highs in the world it really is no matter the amount i really truly feel like that um it's it's the equivalent of you know being i always make the the comparison to being a stockbroker it's you know it's it's making the right investment it's it, to me it's just it's one of the coolest things in the world so even as a tourist perspective or or a recreational outside better i mean i would highly recommend someone make, you know if you're into sports and you're into sports handicapping and betting to make the trip because it's just it's it's such a fun experience to be in a sports book with you know 40 to 100 people all rooting on one side or the other for for any given outcome it's it's experience just that's it's like no other in the world in las vegas doesn't sound like you're moving anytime soon no, I, you know, I always say I feel like I was born for this town. While we're on Vegas, what's some good places to go and watch games or people are going to go for a weekend or whatever? Mm-hmm. What do you suggest in terms of 
experiences? It depends on what you're looking for. It, it really, really does. There's books that are notoriously that cater to professionals. There's that are kind of give up the, the um, amenities, the luxuries that are kind of hole in the walls. Um, my favorite place in the world in Las Vegas is the South Point Hotel and Casino. Uh, it's run by Jimmy Vaccaro and Chris Andrews. And it's, it, it, I always say it's the last real sports book in Las Vegas left. Um, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a boys club in there, to be honest with you. It doesn't have the the glitz and the glamour of some of these new up and coming casinos, the Cosmopolitans, Aria. Um, but it's from a sportsbook perspective, it's they'll they'll take a bet from you. They'll 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 work with you on on what it is that you're trying to get down, what you want, and they really they do run my, my favorite book in Las Vegas, simply because they're willing to take a bet. They're willing to make it you versus them. Um, they they're the last book in town that I think still hangs their own lines. They're Odds makers are the only ones that make them. They're not outsourced to these companies uh, and these computer programs like all over. Um, so from a, a kind of a customer perspective, uh, my favorite sports book in town is the South Point. From a, a kind of a – if you're in town, you only have a day and you definitely want to sit inside of a sports book. There's no nicer sports book in town than the uh, Las Vegas uh, – the Westgate. Uh, formerly, this used to be called the Hilton. Now it's the Westgate Superbook, and it is it is the huge. It's the biggest book in Las Vegas. It is one of the nicest. It is the nicest, in my opinion. There is probably eighty huge big screen TVs. There's a ton of windows. There's a ton of seats. They have um, like man caves. Uh, all kinds of stuff in there. Uh, great food. So from a kind of an ambiance perspective, a bar perspective, I would recommend the Westgate. Uh, from a kind of an intimate kind of of nicer, uh, very low key. I would recommend Legacy's, which has like Legacy Stadium has stadium style seating. It's very small, but it's it's an absolutely beautiful sports book in there. Um, and then from a, a limits perspective, um, I always recommend Aria. Aria and the M. M is a little kind of lesser known. Uh, M is actually where Floyd Mayweather bets exclusively. Um, they will take the biggest bet in Las Vegas, hands down. It's a CGT owned property, uh, and it's. The sportsbook itself is it's not the best, um, but they if you need higher limits, I would always I always steer people to go to two places, the M and Aria. Uh, so those are and Aria is I mean it's very well known. They have one of the most famous poker rooms in the world there, along with Bellagio. But those are it just depends on what you're looking for and kind of what you want in terms of a feel or a vibe for Las Vegas sports betting. So I want to ask one more question on that. Is there value for you living in Vegas and being around the sports books and around people like, you know, Jimmy Vaccaro and Chris Andrews and being able to talk to them and uh, obviously the VEASAN studio in the South Point or going to the Aria or the M and placing some bets and being around sports bettors? Is there, you know, value for you to be in amongst all that? Because I know a lot of people now prefer to sit on their couch in their underwear, but is there some parts of that that are still useful for you to gather information and whatnot? Yeah, so to me it was what I what – I knew that I was going to start handicapping games full time. I, I I just I wanted to immerse myself not only in in handicapping but in the culture and and that sounds so kind of weird and, and you know to say but I wanted the full I wanted to change my life not just bet more games, right? I wanted to become a professional sports handicapper and to me there was no place to do that other than Las Vegas. People again, I always say you have to surround yourself with great people. And even more than the odds makers and, and odds, you know, guys that you can learn from, the best people in the world uh, bet in Las Vegas. It, it is what it is. And that's not to say that there's not unbelievable people betting on offshores from New York and Chicago. I know I, I know syndicates. I know groups that, that don't 
um, they don't they don't live in Las Vegas. They bet through local accounts on credit accounts and, and they move lines and they're some of the sharpest people in the world. But to me, I wanted to be able to build a network and build a build friends and in colleagues and coworkers that I could kind of bounce ideas off of in a personal setting and people that have have you know, I don't want to say it's a, it's a badge of honor to to kind of live in Las Vegas and, and do this, you know, and take it that step further. But it, it kind of is to me. And I know that that may be a little bit outdated and that may be, you know, a little, you know, kind of archaic way of looking at things. But I just always felt like I wanted to surround myself with people that were willing to make that move the way that I was to do this and give 100% of it. So not only is it about, you know, being able to talk with odds makers and being able to talk with guys on the other side of the counters and say, you know, hey, well, how are you? Why are you doing this? Or, or what's your liability on this? Or do you need some money on the other side of this? It's it to me, it was the people, the other professionals inside sports books that I've grown uh, and been fortunate enough to make relationships with uh, was the, the huge thing for me. And it's not to say that I couldn't have done that via social media or, you know, most of my my closest friends and, and guys that I gamble with and and run things off and work with are it's they're from social media and some of them have never even been to Las Vegas and they're some of the sharpest guys that I know. To me, I just I wanted to be able to immerse myself fully in Las Vegas and everything, the history of of gambling and and how this was the only place and still is the only place that it's legal. So it, it to me it's 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 everything wrapped into one. It's it's the culture of Las Vegas where it's kind of you know an outlaw town. It's the only one left. It's there's odds makers where I could learn from on that side of the counter. But not only that, I could learn from from other professional handicappers that are in Las Vegas sportsbooks day in day out doing the same thing that I am. That are kind of in the trenches with you. You mentioned gambling Twitter. What's what's your approach to to <laughs> gambling Twitter? I know there's some very bad touts out there that stand out and it's hard to imagine that they make any money but it sounds like they probably do and there's a lot of um yeah it's a tough place to be around sometimes what is how do you approach it conceptually i think that that gambling twitter is is well was a great it's a great in in theory and in concept it is absolutely fantastic right it's a place that people can help each other win um, but it, along the way it turned into to a little bit different of a thing it turned into a place for people to to sell a sell a dream right and again this is what people don't understand is that the best people in the world can touch maybe 60% if they're lucky and these people that at a certain point, you have to kind of take the blame off of a tout because they're trying to make money, and I understand that. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I am, in, in fact, a tout handicapper. I sell my UFC selections. I have nothing against tout handicappers when it's done the right way. I really don't because – my, I, you know, with what I put into to handicapping UFC and the hours upon hours of holidays, and I was looking at UFC film on Christmas and Christmas Eve, um, to get ready for that upcoming event, and I don't think it's uh, it's asking too much to want to be compensated for for doing that. Now, <clears throat> it's not to say that if, if you're against it, there's there's nothing wrong with saying you know I, I just don't agree with that, and I'm not going to buy picks. That's that's well within your right. I just don't. What I don't understand is is the level of of bickering, right? Like I said, somewhere along the way, people decided that they didn't they don't want to help people or they don't want to help each other win, and and it became kind of a contest to see who was who was the best. And I can do that. I I'm hitting seventy percent, and I'm it, to me it just it became so watered down so very fast. And I think that the what people should take out of gambling Twitter because again it is it can be such a great place at times 
is use it for for what it is, is is really my biggest advice build relationships on there there's some fantastic some of the best people in the world i know on on quote unquote gambling twitter are free guys that just all they want to do is help guys and put out free content and it's it's you know people are like oh what do they get out of that well some guys are in the exposure phase right they they're looking to break into kind of getting into sports handicapping from a, you know and eventually maybe work for a major outlet in handicapping you know work for vsin work for espn chalk work for sports insights work for these companies and the only way they're going to do that is to build a following so they're going to provide the best free content that they can because they want to be noticed and that's kind of that was my goal initially when i started providing free picks and stuff like that it was to i my you know my dream was always to kind of write and do sports handicapping from a, a media perspective and do kind of the vsin route was kind of what i wanted to break into when i first started getting here but to me it's just it's become like i said it's watered down but i think that it's one of those things like we you know when people are like, oh, he's rough around the edges, but he has a great heart is, is what I would kind of equate gambling Twitter to. Before I let you go, I want to talk about the Super Bowl. What are your thoughts and feelings for the rest of the NFL season? And I, this hopefully we can get this out soon so people can sort of check in to, to get you know your temperature on the season so far. And obviously Wentz injured, so there's some uncertainty with the Eagles and obviously the Patriots and Steelers hanging around like normal. What are your, what are your thoughts for the rest of the season? Well, I'm a, I'm a Boston guy born and raised, so, you know, I'm going to say the Patriots are going to make it from the AFC. But um, <clears throat> from a, the Super Bowl to me, I mean, I always, like I said, I have a very macro big picture bet or look when it comes to, to betting, especially football. What I, I look at it like a, a, it is a market, right? It's a fluid market, but I look at it almost as a long term. I make every play almost as a future, right? So instead of kind of like for the Browns, for example, I made a conscious decision to put basically, you know, call it a, a one, I hate the I hate the word unit and the term unit, but I I made a conscious decision to short the Browns every single week this, this year. It didn't matter if it was the best spot in the world, if it was, if they were, I thought they were getting too many points, if I thought that the, the scheduling spot was too good to pass up. And that's one example of a macro bet. And I do that with um, someone like, say, Matthew Stafford. If he is facing a team that is over 500, I would short his stock every single week. Those are examples of what I call macro bets. It's making the same bet, and it, it, what it does is it takes your your head kind of out of it, right? It doesn't let you overcomplicate things. Once you feel you have an edge, you exploit it over and over and over again. So what I say is always bet on the streak. Because you can only lose once betting on a streak, right? The ultimate gambler's fallacy is if roulette comes up red 10 times in a row, you're going to bet black the 11th, right? Well, you can lose 10 times after if you bet black if it goes 20 in a row, but you can only lose once if you only bet until it goes red in a row. Now, the Patriots making it to know, six or seven straight AFC championship games. It's the same thing as LeBron James making it to whatever that is, seven or eight NBA championships in a row. So until this proves to be not profitable, I mean, New England has been one of my largest bets every single season to make it to win the AFC championship game. It's just to me, again, you can only lose once betting on a streak, but you can lose so many times betting against it. So to me, Again, this is where I differ from a lot of sharp handicappers that say, oh, well, there's value on this team or there's value on that team. Yes, there probably is, but you need to be prepared and know what you're doing enough to be able to hedge and and be able to pick things off live and in-game to guarantee yourself profit. And those are skills that not all recreational bettors have yet. So as far as the Super Bowl um, goes for me, um, 
New England is is a team that I I obviously have again just because it's not a homer play it's nothing this it's not oh he's a square he's what kind of professional handicapper is he picking the Patriots that's very hard to do it's it's the fact that I'm willing to you know to listen to those those critics and those those people that say you know oh that's not hard to do well it's been profitable seven years in a row so. You know, that is what it is from an AFC side. Um, I do think it will be Pittsburgh versus New England in an AFC championship game. Um, so you can kind of, uh, fr- from a betting perspective there, you can kind of take futures if you want to take my advice there. And from a NFC side, I really do think that Minnesota is going to become the first team to host a Super Bowl this year. Um, with the injury to Carson Wentz, I think that the – I always have been a per, uh, subscriber to the idea that the moment is too big for first-timers. This happened last year with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, and I think it's going to happen to Jared Goff again. Um, so I, I'm not a believer in the Rams. I just think that they're they're too young. I think that a rookie – essentially a rookie quarterback, a rookie in the playoffs that is, um, <clears throat> it's going to be too much for him. I just – I really think it is. I think McVay is a first-year first head coach, and those things take time. You need playoff experience. Um, I'm also much higher on Atlanta uh, than a lot of people. Um because Atlanta has the same record this year than they did last year when they made the the uh, Super Bowl, but I think that Minnesota's defense is just too good, and I think that they're going to be the. I think they want to be the first team to ever host a Super Bowl, and as as crazy as it seems to think that Case Keenum can can lead a team to a Super Bowl, it's been done before with the likes of Trent Dilfer and things like that. So I'm going to go with Minnesota versus New England. And I'm sure we all know who you would prefer to win that game. We have Super Bowl props, in-game betting. There's a million other things, but we'll have to save that for another time. I really appreciate your time. Before I let you go, Twitter handle? It is at Christian Pina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-P-I-N-A. Christian, thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it, and all the very best for your betting in 2018. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au. And please support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Gamble responsibly.